big point scoring opportunity for the Aggies with four of the nine finalists. They are in lanes four, five, seven, and eight. And Bobby Grant was really stoked the other day when he ran his semifinal and took over the NCAA lead. There is Ilola Zuzu out in lane number seven. You can see him with the headband. Coach Henry said that with Bobby Grant, they've focused on a lot of flat 400s and running in relays. He's clocked 45-second splits recently over those flat 400s to be very careful with doing too much hurling on that foot. She Tatum of Mississippi State giving Bobby Grant everything he can handle. Infinite Tucker also of AM is there, but now Grant takes the lead over hurdle number nine. It's Grant and Tucker, one, two, AM. They both clear the 10th hurdle without a problem. It's going to be Tucker. Yes, he dives for the tape. That is what you call a full send. Full send, going all out, leaving nothing to chance, going all out. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. When I was uh, preparing this this week, um, I'm going to sit down because I tweaked my back. Welcome to your mid-40s where you hurt yourself playing with the dog, apparently. So, I don't even know what I did. <laughs> when I was preparing this, I was thinking about Paul and he, uh, it dropped some sports metaphors on us this week and how we're just supposed to just leave it all behind in chasing after Jesus. And I thought about this video, I'd seen this before, where the guy just literally dives across the finish line <laughs> to get first by. I thought that was very apropos in how we're supposed to chase after Jesus. But let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into the message. Father God, uh, as we dig into your word today, uh, may we be encouraged to leave it all behind and to strain towards the goal, uh, which is you. And so be blessed, be glorified in the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we left off last week um, with Paul talking about making it count. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of historical stuff. I like to study. So um, we watched Paul go through his resume, point by point, his religious resume. Um, he had just told us we put no confidence in the flesh. And then he said, but just in case we did, if we did, let me show you what my resume looks like. If anybody has confidence in the flesh, I do. And so he goes point by point just to play devil's advocate. And he says, listen, this is what would put me in the upper crust, in the circle of the religious Pharisees. And then he's waiting for us to ask the question, you know, what's that all worth? Like, come on, Paul, that has to be worth something. All of that that you've done in your own strength. And he tells us, he says, you know what? That's worth nothing. It's garbage. Literally, it's waste or dung is what is the translation there. And we need to, as Christ followers, release any notion that we can do anything in our own power to earn our way into his great graces. It's all about what he's done, not what we can do. And if we want to look backwards, if there's anything worth looking backwards to, it's his grace and his saving grace of us on the cross. If we want to look back, we can look back at that, but then we need to press on. And we talked about when we let all that go, here's what we gain. And we gain a knowledge of Christ uh, when we're no longer focused on ourselves, when we're not the center, then we have room to take ourselves off of the throne of our hearts and put him where he belongs and get the knowledge of Christ. And we also get 
a real righteousness, not a righteousness that comes from anything that we can do, but everything that he has done. And we are clothed in his righteousness. We also get power. Uh, we know him in the power of his resurrection. He gives us an overcoming life as we follow him. And we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we also have fellowship. Fellowship with him in his sufferings is what Paul said. Uh, we love the fellowship part. Not so excited about the sufferings part. Uh, but basically, we identify with him in his sufferings through baptism. And then also he told his disciples, you have to pick up your cross. You have to deny yourself and follow after me. And we do that. And then the cool part about it is he's also with us. He also fellowships with us in our sufferings. So as we go through the pain, as we go through the trial, he draws near to us. And then glory. Lastly, I mean, we're living here in these broken uh, sinful tense is the word that Peter uses. Uh, and we long for the day when we can be rid of it and have that glorified body. And that's the great exchange. Um, best exchange rate you'll ever find. When we give up all of our filthy rags, all of our attempts at righteousness, and we just accept his righteousness and made right with him. And Paul says today, after he does all of that, and he lists out, here's everything that I've done to qualify for righteousness. He says... These are the things that we gain, but I haven't attained it yet. I haven't gotten there yet. So let's read in Philippians. We're still in chapter 3. We're going to do verses 12 through 16 today. He says this, straining towards the goal. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those uh, among us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Um, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Something that I've always thought was interesting is that Paul is a bit of a sports buff. I mean, he drops all kinds of sports analogies on us, and he does it again today. I think he's the kind of guy that after church, you could take the Buffalo Wild Wings, and he'd be okay with that. Um, I had Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday. <laughs> I'm kind of paying for it today, by the way. But <laughs> uh, He was constantly using sports metaphors to help his congregations grasp better what this Christian life is like, and he likens it to a struggle that we all know. Uh, the Olympics originated in ancient Greece, and there was actually another, just a little bit lesser known, games called the Isthmian, Isthmian Games, and it was actually held in and around Corinth. And so we recognize that name because there was a church that planted there, the Corinthians, and so they had these games in that area, and he's using a metaphor much in the same way that Jesus used metaphors for farming and for fishing, you know, things that people would understand. And he uses these to drive home a spiritual truth, and that's what he's doing again today. Here's some examples. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air. And then Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And in Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life as any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. 
And then, of course, in Galatians 2, 2, it says that he went up because of the revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. This Christian life, as we've been talking about, is full of grace and mercy. We were saved by grace. But it's also a struggle. It's also a struggle. Paul likens it to an athletic contest. Now, we said before, said Nathan, this is, you said this is not about performance. This is not works-based, performance-based Christianity. And that's true. But it doesn't pretend, you know, it doesn't depend on what we do. But because we have a real enemy, because Satan is trying to take me out, he's trying to take you out, your kids out, we have to train our spirit man and our mind to be able to resist him. And the struggle that Paul's talking about here is just spiritual maturity. Maturity, growing up spiritually. And, you know, as we age, we mature physically, emotionally. Um, and people are very intentional about that, right? We, we study, we develop our mind, we work out, we eat nutritiously, like Buffalo Wild Wings. And people are very intentional about it, but a lot of times we neglect the most important part, which is our spiritual man. We neglect our spiritual maturity. And it's gonna take effort. It's gonna take a real effort to fight against our flesh. Um, people, they kick against this, but God has things to do for you and me. Unique things for you to do personally and me to do, and all of us corporately. And we were talking last week and a couple of things that we're gonna start doing to help foster you know, community and fellowship is once a month, uh, at least maybe once every month, when I've been too aggressive just yet, but at least every other month, we are going to have a meal together after church. We're just gonna bring it in and after we dismiss, we're gonna set it up and just share a meal together. And then uh, the plan is in the every other month and the other month that we don't have a meal is to do some type of community project together. Um, and, and that can be a lot of different things. If you have an idea or if you have something that we could be a part of, certainly bring that forward. One of the things that we're talking about right now uh, that's still being considered is to, you know, do a meal here for the residents and bring that in and actually serve them and just be a blessing to the people that live here. And that's one of the things that we're looking into. But no, um, October 31st, I think is a Sunday, and that's gonna be our first meal here together. So um, Chiefs play on Monday night, so everybody has to get home. Uh, so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do it there on that Sunday. But we are called to serve together and to bear one another's burdens, and we're gonna do that. Uh, last week, we looked at the transformation. Saul gave us his resume, and then how he transformed to a radical follower of Christ. And now he's talking about the pursuit, pursuing Jesus. But it's a lifelong race, guys. I mean, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, we just had the, the Summer Olympics. I love the Olympics. I try to watch as much as I can. But if I turn on the telly, and it's the marathoners, I don't, want to, I don't want to watch the marathoners. Forget it. Um, I'd rather watch, you know, the sprinters or the 400 or, you know, some type of relay because that's about how long my attention span is. About two minutes, maybe a mile, maybe four minutes. But a lot of times we think of our spiritual walk like that, like it should be a sprint. We should be there already. But in reality, it is a marathon. It's going to take the rest of our lives. 30 years after Paul's conversion, 30 years after, he's still talking about the pursuit of Jesus and that he hasn't done it yet. Um, verse 12, he says, 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In 1 John 4, 19, it says that we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. I want to make it my own because he has made me his own. After 30 years of walking radically with Jesus, he says, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. Perfection is the goal, right? That's the goal, perfection, to get to heaven. But it ain't going to happen on this side of eternity. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for that. Um, there were some people, there have been over the, you know, over the course of history that have claimed that they have gotten a second blessing that has allowed them to live a sinlessly perfect life. They no longer struggle with sin because they had been perfected by the love of God. And the famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, right? So the story goes, is that he was at a conference and he was speaking with a guy who, you know, was propagating this. And he had said rather humbly that he had experienced this in his own life, that he no longer struggled with sin, that he had reached a place of sinless perfection. And Spurgeon didn't say anything. But the next day, he snuck up behind the guy and he poured a pitcher of water on his head. And he found out pretty quick that the guy still struggled with his sin nature. <laughs> he said, ah, he said, your sin, your sin man was just sleeping. He had to be roused with some water. <laughs> he was still there. Paul wasn't perfect. Obviously, we're not either. But it doesn't keep us from striving towards the goal. It shouldn't make us apathetic. We have a built-in desire for growth. God has put that inside of us. Sometimes our desire for growth is healthy, sometimes not so much. Um, sometimes we end up wishing our lives away in our desire for growth, right? I wish that, or I can't wait until I turn 16 and I can drive, or I turn 18 and I'm an adult, or I get married or have kids or retire, whatever that might be. And we end up kind of wishing our life away instead of staying in the season that God's put us in. But what Paul is talking about here is a dissatisfaction with our current spiritual state. There should be a dissatisfaction there. Um, if we ever get satisfied with where we are spiritually, that is, that's a problem, right? That's a warning flag. We need to pursue Christ-likeness. So the question is, why do we need to mature spiritually? Like, why do that? Like, we're saved, we're going to heaven, why do we need to mature? Well, most importantly, it glorifies God. Everything that we do, everything that we should live out our lives is to glorify God. And everything means everything. Uh, I listened to a sermon a couple weeks ago now, and it was by John MacArthur. And it was a difficult message to listen to. The subject of his message was, why does God allow evil to exist? That is a question that non-believers ask all the time. When you say you believe in God, well, I don't believe in God because how could you know, a loving God allow evil to exist? And if I could boil, he talked for like 40 minutes. <laughs> That's how long you're here, brother. Okay. No, he talked a lot longer than that. But to boil it all down, it was basically for his glory. Everything is for his glory. Even the fact that evil exists and the fact that he allows it to exist is for his glory. That's a tough thing to grapple with. But we mature spiritually because it glorifies God. Secondly, we, we mature spiritually because it's evidence of our salvation and that's genuine if we still have the same spiritual iq as we did the day we were saved 
then some might question the genuineness of that salvation. We have a built-in desire for growth. And if you are saved, you have a savior. And we should be, you know, we should want to get to know him because he we love him because he loved us. And if we love him, you want to grow in relationship with him. Uh, when we were in high school, Alicia wrote me a note. And it said, do you love me? Check yes, no. <laughs> but what was in the note made me want to get her, made me want to get to know her more. And, you know, that's what God's word is. And when we're reading his word, we want to get to know him more. And it proves that our salvation is genuine. It also saves you and me from the sorrow and suffering of spiritual immaturity. Um, immature people do stupid things. I said this last week and I felt bad because I, I shouldn't have said it like this, but Devin had some of his college friends here and I was telling a story about my college experience and I said, college kids are stupid. It's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say was, college kids are immature <laughs> and they do stupid things. That's what I meant to say. And when we're immature spiritually, we do things and we fall in areas that are completely avoidable. Things that aren't necessary and we don't need to learn from our own personal experience. We can learn from others' experience, which is the best way to do it. And so we mature spiritually and if we don't, then we're doomed to kind of fall in areas, to get tripped up in sin where it's completely not necessary. Um, I just happened to crack the God's Promises book. And if you guys, if you don't have one of the God's Promises book, we have them in the back. Grab one on the way out. Um, it's fantastic. And I just happened to open it. I literally did one of these. You know, where you just kind of open the Bible and, and point. But here's where it landed. Paul was talking about Jesus being our high priest. He is our faithful high priest. And he said this. This is the very next part. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We have to graduate from the Gerber's folks, is what he's saying. Not trying to offend, but that's what he's saying. We need to grow up spiritually. The next reason is it produces joy in the life of a believer. This whole letter is about joy. That's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is. And we can have joy in the middle of our circumstances, regardless of what they are, not because of what's happening on the outside, but because of what's happening on the inside and because of who we serve. The closer we get to Jesus, the greater our capacity for joy. And we move past the Eeyore complex. Right? The woe is me. And we move to, wow, isn't he good? As we mature, we can see things that way. It also equips us for ministry. I enjoy working on things, uh, tinkering. And um, a few weeks ago, we had a shower head that's been, you know, dripping for, I don't know, six months. And I finally decided to fix it. And all it needed was these two little springs and these two little washers. And so I took the whole thing apart. I fixed it. And I stepped out of the bathroom, you know, like Superman. I was super proud of myself until the next morning when one of the kids went to take a shower and I put it in upside down. And so instead of there being cold water to hot, it was like scalding water to barely tolerable hot water. And so, you know, my pride lasted for about half a day. But I inherited, I inherited my grandfather's tools and I have tons of tools, things I don't even know what they are. And so when I work on projects, chances are good that I have something that's going to fill the need. But when I don't, 
Alicia probably would rather I just stay in the garage because I get very, very frustrated. And we mature basically to um, have more tools in our toolbox, uh, to be able to go through life, to be able to handle certain situations. And as you mature, your toolbox will grow and you will have more joy, you will have less frustration, and you'll have more impact on other people's lives because you have chosen to pursue him. And now your toolbox, spiritually, has gotten enlarged. Hopefully yours is more organized than mine. <laughs> we press on towards the goal because Christ Jesus has made us his own. With the, with the goal of becoming more like Jesus, there are some prerequisites that we're going to need if we are to attain it. And the first one is just an awareness. We talked about this earlier. We're aware, painfully aware, that we are not perfect, that we're not perfected, that that day is coming, but we're not even close. But the fact that we are not going to be perfected until we get to heaven shouldn't make us apathetic. Because we have that to look forward to, because we have the goal, the prize, it should fill us with a zeal here and now that we are headed in that direction. Um, it's that dissatisfaction that I mentioned. Uh, great athletes are never satisfied with their performance. Never. Uh, I watched this series and it, and it was on the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And it's he's ridiculous, right? His drive for success and how he talked about how he actually worked harder in practice than he did in the games. It's like, people don't believe that, but the people that he practiced with did because he had an insatiable desire to get better. Um, there's always another goal. But again, we're not talking about our salvation, right? We receive that by grace through faith, but through the works that we do, the maturing that we do, uh, we have an awareness already as we're working towards that, that we're not perfected. Matthew, or in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, if that's what you're seeking after, he says, you will be satisfied. You will get there. Uh, you will reach the goal. The second in pursuing Christ-likeness requires maximum effort. Like the video that we watched, that guy was giving maximum effort in reaching for the goal. Um, there needs to be a diligent pursuit in our Christian lives we need to be all in, all in, in this Christian life. Paul is straining every spiritual muscle that he has in his pursuit of the goal, to be conformed to Jesus every day. Because it takes no muscles at all, guys, to end up like the world, to be conformed to the world. All you gotta do is sit down in the inner tube and let the river of culture take you downstream. And that's how you'll end up in the culture. But it takes effort to be more like Jesus. In, in Romans 12, Paul writes, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that takes effort on our part. It takes some work. There's a phrase that's circulated through Christian circles um, over time, and it is, let go and let God. Let go and let God. But that phrase would be very unfamiliar to the Apostle Paul. Uh, it wasn't let go and let God. Listen to what he writes in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He toils, he struggles with all his energy to preach Christ and to present as many as possible mature in Christ. Maximum effort is what Paul was giving. 
The purpose for which we have been saved is the same purpose for which we live, and that's His glory. Everything for His glory. It's a lifelong, strenuous pursuit of Christ-likeness for His glory. That was Jesus' goal when He was here on earth. He could have taken all the glory for Himself. But when he performed miracles, when he taught, he directed all the glory to God. And if that was his goal, if that was his purpose, then we should do that as well. So the idea of let go and let God, it really is do your best and let him take care of the rest. There's an awesome song. You should look it up later. This is your homework. Keith Green, he'll take care of the rest. He says, do your best and he'll take care of the rest. Uh, next, pursuing Christ-likeness requires focused concentration. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul narrows his focus, one thing. Now, maximum effort without focused concentration is worthless. Like, you can give a lot of effort, but if it's not focused, if it's not narrowed, you're not going to get a whole lot done. Kind of like what we talked about last week. The Pharisees and Paul were sincere but they were sincerely wrong. They were in the wrong direction. You can put out a lot of effort, but if it's not focused, it's not gonna accomplish much. Uh, I can tell you growing up playing baseball, um, I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase, keep your eye on the ball, right? Keep your eye on the ball. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Forrest Gump, then you know that he becomes like an all world, you know, ping pong player. And it all started when he was in the army and he got bored and he walks up and he sees this guy playing ping pong, practicing against the wall. And he's, he gives it a shot and the guy tells him, he says, never take your eye off the ball. And he doesn't take his eye off the ball. That is what we're supposed to do. We're to narrow our focus and not take our eyes off the prize. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight in front of you. Make level the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. It all hinges on one thing. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. This is a big one. I mentioned it earlier. We can't look back. The only thing worth looking back for is his saving grace. That's it. Those times in our life uh, were character building, right? We can't camp out on the victory field, on the battlefield, where we won those victories. We have to keep going. And we can't get lost in our past, our past sins that dog us and get depressed and fall into despair. Um, Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Um, we can't start following Jesus and keep looking back into the past. It's not going to work. Um, if you're the kind of person who likes to mow, and you're obsessed about getting your rows straight, you know, and so one side looks dark and the other looks light, and so you get it looking like, um, you know, a football field, you know that you have to keep your eyes fixed on a specific point if you want your rows to be perfect. If you look back, or even if you look down at the ground, your rows are going to be all crooked. And if we get focused on our current situation in life, what we're going through, if we get obsessed about that, or if we start looking backwards at our past, and kind of falling into despair or trying to lean on our past victories, then our life can get kind of crooked. And that's what Paul's talking about. When we don't forget what's behind us and um, we get kind of bogged down in that, we can get paralyzed spiritually and we become a spiritual cripple. And we don't need to be a spiritual cripple. We need to be running towards Jesus. 
when we stay focused and give maximum effort, it gives us positive momentum into the future to be able to keep going. And the positive side of this thing, Paul says, one thing I do, I'm reaching forward. I've forgotten all this stuff. I've ditched it. I am reaching forward. He's leaning for the tape, so to speak. Now, the next pursuing Christ-likeness requires proper motivation. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I wonder sometimes if we have the proper motivation in ch you know, chasing after Christ-likeness. Um, heaven is the goal. Perfection is the goal. We're going to get there one day. But there's also going to be prizes. There's going to be rewards that we're going to be given when we get to heaven. Uh, this phrase to press towards really means down, to press down, to bear down. Uh, when you hear announcers talking about something, a critical situation where an athlete needs to perform, they might say he needs to bear down. Now, he needs to be completely focused and he needs to have the proper motivation to move quickly in a determined way. Now, we will receive the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The finish line is the threshold of heaven. That's the finish line. And I've mentioned this before, but there will be a time when we get there where we will stand before Jesus and he will give us rewards for how we walked out this Christian life. Um, there's two judgments in the Bible. There's two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is for the believers. And I used to think, I'm going to stand before Jesus and the whole movie of my life is going to be shown and I'm going to be super embarrassed and everybody's going to see all the bad stuff that I did. But that's not what it's talking about. For the believers, we've been forgiven. And standing before the judgment seat of Christ is where we will receive our rewards for how we lived out this time here on earth. Um, Ephesians 2.20 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't work for our salvation, but we work it out. That's how we should walk out our lives here. And how we live makes a difference. And the rewards that we'll get once we get there. This is talking about a judge, like in, a, in an athletic contest. Uh, we have a judge that is going to look at people's performance and reward them accordingly. Very different judgments. Uh, but Jesus already took the punishment, the judgment for us on the cross. Uh, listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. After Jesus told his disciples to pick up their cross and to follow him, he said, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. That's Matthew 16, 27. And we're not exactly sure what this means. Uh, we tend to think in material, right, in the material, um, but the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Like, one of the most precious things on earth is used as asphalt in heaven. So I think it's going to be way beyond what we could ever think or imagine. One of the things that we know it talks about is responsibility. Um, there is um, a time, a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 19, it's called the parable of the ten minus, and it talks about a ruler who is getting ready to leave, he goes somewhere else and he calls 10 of his servants and he gives them all a unit of money. It's about three months wages of mina. And this is similar to another story that he tells, obviously the parable of the talents, where he gives three of his servant talents, and he, but he gives those guys all different amounts. He gives them all different amounts. 
and which is you know symbolic of we all have different talents, we all have different responsibilities, unique things that we're supposed to do. But here he gives them all the same. And if you think about it, what is the thing that we all have that is the same? And that is our time. We all have 24 hours in a day, but how do we use that time? How do we invest it? Do we use it chasing Christ's likeness, trying to glorify God? Now, we all have responsibilities. We all have things that we're going to do. But the one who made the most of his investment, who took the master's investment and brought 10 more minus out of it, the master said, I'm going to place you over 10 cities. And the one who you know, made five minus more, he said, I'm going to put you over five cities. So this is responsibility. How we use our time now to glorify God, to further his kingdom, will be rewarded with more responsibility in heaven. We will be doing things. We're not just going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Thank goodness. We're going to have things to do in the kingdom. And how we live here is going to determine that. People often ask, they say, what's the meaning of life? You're like, why are we here? Well, as Christians, as God followers, we know the meaning of life. To know him and to make him known. And how we walk that out here is going to determine how we live out eternity. And it's going to be awesome. And some people might think, you know what, Nathan, I'm not really into rewards. Not a big deal to me. I'm here to tell you, when you get there, you will care. You will care. Uh, just like we're rewarded here. Next one, pursuing Christ-likeness requires a right understanding. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. As we pursue we mature and we have a better grasp, a right understanding that we are not the center of the universe, that Jesus is supposed to be the center. We have a unique task that he has given each one of us, individually and corporately, a chance to partner with God. God chooses to carry out his will here on earth through his people. We're called the hands and feet, the body of Christ. That's how he chooses to work. Um, we're far from spiritually perfect, obviously. We're positionally perfect. But one day, Paul's encouraging them, as he says in chapter 2, have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus. Think this way. Have the mind of Christ. Again, over and over, he tells them, you need to have a right understanding. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Well, you might ask, how do I have the mind of Christ? How do I do that? Well, I will say that we cannot say that God is not talking to us when our Bibles sit closed. This is God's word to the world. So if you want to know what God is saying to you, then you need to get in his word and he will speak to you. We have to open up the word. Uh, we encounter him intellectually uh, through his word, but then also experientially through the Holy Spirit. And that comes with prayer life, devotionals, reading the Bible through worship, all of those things draw us closer to the Lord. And as, as we do that, he's going to speak and reveal more to us. Um, this wasn't originally in my notes, but I was thinking about it this morning. Um, he says, if there are other things that you don't agree on, he will reveal that to you. Um, and, you know, our current status right now, our status quo is a good example of that. I got a message this week on Facebook and the person asked me, they said, you know, I'm not I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just kind of curious if the pastor is vaccinated. And I was like, okay, here we go. That's a strange question. Like, not what time do you guys meet or, you know, where do you guys meet? It's like, is the pastor vaccinated? I'm like, all right. 
And so, you know, I attempted to answer the question. I said, listen, in Romans it tells us, let each man be um, convinced in his own mind. And he's talking about the non-essentials. The essentials, there has to be unity, right? Jesus is the Son of God. We believe in the Trinity. We believe the only way to salvation is through his blood, you know, by grace, through faith. These are the essentials. I said, but in the non-essentials, like back then they were arguing over which day do we worship on? You know, or do we eat meat? Like these are the type of things they were arguing about. It's like, listen, in the non-essentials, there needs to be liberty. But you need to be convinced in your own mind. And I said, when it comes to this type of stuff, the things that are tearing apart the church, like the current situation, should I be vaccinated or not? COVID, these are non-essentials. And each man needs to be convinced in his own mind. And so that was kind of what I had sent off that, listen, regardless, we're here to worship God. We're here to lift Jesus high. And in these types of things, you know what? God will reveal it to you. Press into him and whatever he tells you, hey, that's between you and God. Not, it's not for me. I'm not going to preach any of that stuff from the pulpit. That's for you guys. Amen? Amen. Okay. Good. Second <laughs> Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And basically what he's talking about here is he's going to equip you. He's going to equip us, guys. Have this mind. But if you don't, if you guys disagree, he'll reveal it to you. Stay in his word. He's going to equip you as we pursue Christ's likeness. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. So we need to step out in faith and he qualifies us. Peter Marshall said, it is better to fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. And this Christian life is going to succeed. So even if we fall down, even if we fail, we come up short, doesn't matter if it happens once a day, 10 times a day. We're a part of it, and it's going to ultimately succeed, and we need to be chasing after Christ's likeness. If we get it wrong, just get back up. I had another video I was going to show, but I don't want to you know, take up more time. And it was like a mile run, and this gal was in the lead, and she fell down, and everybody else passed her. And they're like, well, that's a shame because she's a great runner, and now you know she's not going to win. She came all the way back and won the race. It was incredible. So even if we fall down, even if we get it wrong, God's going to reveal more to us. And lastly, pursuing the goal, you know, to Christ likeness requires consistently consistency. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Just like Paul consistently repeating himself to his congregations, so too we as Christ followers need to be consistent in our actions and in our walks, the way we, you know, read our devotions, the way we pray and worship, the way we meet together needs to be consistent because if we don't, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. These are the types of things that are completely avoidable if we will just be consistent in our daily walk. We have, we have tons of resources available to us more than ever before. Uh, so be like a professional athlete being given an entire gym to work out in all the machines, everything they need, and only showing up two or three times a week, right? When they get out there, they're not going to be worth much against all the other athletes. And we've been given so many resources. You know, if you were just starting out in this working out gig, that would be fine. Two or three times a week is a great start. But as you mature, gang, we need to be consistent with the way that we walk. Some translations say, now let us live up to what we've already acquired. Let's live up to that. Each believer should exercise the full degree of maturity that we possess. Do what you know. 
Just because you don't know everything doesn't mean you shouldn't do something. We need to exercise what we know. We're all in different places in this race, in this marathon, and that's okay. That's all right. We need to do what we know. Live consistently with the understanding that God has given us, and he'll reveal the rest to you as you go through it. To, turn, to me, uh, turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts 18. This is a great story, um, of, a great example of what we're talking about. 18, verse 24. Apollos speaks boldly in Ephesus. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that incredible? If you are a Bible student, then those two names should jump out at you, Priscilla and Aquila, because they were two very good friends of Paul. And then we jump down to um, chapter 19. It says, and it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, he had moved on, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which is what Apollos was preaching. And he said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come and after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. It's just so cool because here you have Apollos who was born in Greece. He was saved outside of Jerusalem. He was very eloquent. He was very passionate, but he was a little off in his theology. And Priscilla and Aquila heard him and they took him inside and said, actually, this is kind of the more accurate way that you should be teaching. We got this straight from Paul. Take our word for it. And then he gets corrected. He goes on to Corinth and starts preaching boldly there as well. And then Paul comes in. Because Priscilla and Aquila had been equipped, they were able to further equip Apollos. And then Paul comes along and is able to equip them even further. So consistency will help us be equipped when we live up to what we have attained. So awareness, maximum effort, focused concentration. We need to have the proper motivation and the right understanding and then we need to be consistent with it. These are the things that we need to do in pursuing Christ-likeness. We're not gonna do them perfectly, Paul says. I haven't done it. I haven't attained it yet, but I'm pressing on towards the goal. Um, Grace, you can come up. I uh, was reading this week about a guy named Cliff Young. This was an incredible story. Uh, every year, thousands of runners descend on Australia. Probably not this year, but they used to descend on Australia, and they would go run in what is called an ultra marathon. Has anybody run a marathon? It's stupid. 26.2 <laughs> miles. I ran cross country, and that's like 3.1. And when I was going to college, they're like, do you want to run cross country? And I'm like, how, how far is that? I'm like, 6.2. I was like, nope, <laughs> don't want to do that. 26.2 miles is a marathon. The ultra marathon in Australia, one of the hardest ones, 400 544 miles, 544 miles from Sydney to Melbourne, 
That's what they were running. And so these are the best athletes in the world, top of their game, young guys running. And that all changed one day in 1983 when a guy named Cliff Young showed up at the starting line because he was 61 years old and he was wearing overalls and boots. There's Cliff Young. Shows up, people are laughing, they thought it was a joke. And a reporter came up to him and they're like, you know, what are you doing here? Why do you think that you have a chance against these elite athletes? He says, you know what? Um, I was actually raised on a ranch, a 2,000 acre ranch, uh, where we had 2,000 sheep. And we couldn't afford horses, we couldn't afford tractors, and so it was my job to round up the sheep. And so he's literally running around the countryside rounding up these sheep. And he says, you know, I think my experience over the years makes me uniquely qualified to have a shot at this race. And so nobody gave him a shot. But what happened was, as he went to the starting line, everybody took off, and everybody took off like a shot. And here's Cliff Young, and he just kind of has this shuffle, this kind of consistent shuffle, and people are like, he doesn't even know how to run. But to win this race, it took five days, five days. And the runners would run for 18 hours. 18 hours they would run, then they would sleep for six hours. And then we'd get up and run 18 hours again. But Cliff, his strategy was to run straight through without sleeping, no breaks. So he just kind of kept this little shuffle going on. This is a real life turtle and the hare story. And nobody was giving a shot, but every day he crept a little bit closer with this little shuffle. And by day five, it wasn't a joke anymore because he had put himself in first place. And he set a world record in the Australian ultra marathon because he put some of these things into practice. He had an awareness. I'm not a marathoner, you know, this is not what I do. Um, he had maximum effort. He ran for five days without stopping. That's incredible. He had a focused concentration. He narrowed himself to do one thing. I'm just gonna shuffle. I'm gonna do it. He had a proper motivation. He's like, look, I've done this my whole life. I can do it. That's my motivation. Right understanding. I'm just gonna get out there, do what I've done my whole life. And then the consistency factor of it. He just shuffled along until he crossed the finish line. He was consistent with it. I just think that's an awesome story. A good analogy for how we should live this Christian life. We're not gonna be the fastest. We may not do it the best. We may not have the biggest platform, but what we're called to do is give it our all, be consistent with it, and one day we're going to achieve the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We'll cross the finish line, and we're going to have a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on, those who have gone before us. Guys, the angels don't even understand this. It says the things which angels long to look into. They are looking at you and me and saying, are you kidding me? These people? I mean, like Christy, I can understand. But Mark? I mean, come on. God, you are awesome. Your grace and your mercy is incredible. The angels are blown away that God would use us and partner with us and love us this much. And so out of a response for that is why we chase after him, because he loved us first. Love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is great.